God doesn't require us to be successful. God requires us to be faithful. Don Wildman, founder of the American Family Association, has passed from this world and is now enjoying his reward in heaven. Don Wildman, or Brother Don as many called him, was faithful. He served God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength for more than 40 years at the ministry he founded. And prior to that, he served as a Methodist pastor for 13 years. When I was nine years old, I felt God had a calling on my life. And um, oddly enough, for the next 40 years, I struggled to find out what the Lord wanted me to do. And then in uh, 76, uh, Christmas 76, uh, weighing what was on television, I decided that this is what the Lord wanted me to do. I resigned the pulpit, couldn't do both of them because they both were full-time. Uh, founded the AFA, started working. Uh, Linda went back, she was a teacher, and she went back teaching. Uh, my salary for the first year was $1,800. That's for the year, it's not for a month, it's for the year. Don Wildman's legacy includes the ministries of the American Family Association and American Family Radio, and he also left behind his son, Tim Wildman, grandsons, Wesley and Walker Wildman, and granddaughter, Riley Wildman. They have committed to continue the American Family Association as long as God makes it possible or until Jesus returns. I've been asked, how does it feel to walk in the footsteps of Don Wildman, who you know, gave birth to this ministry. Of course, the Lord gave Dad the ability and, and gave him the idea and gave him the courage. Uh, but, you know, the Bible says some people uh, plant, some water, and some harvest, right? So I don't know whether I'm watering or harvesting. I think I'm doing a little bit of both, but mm -hmm. I certainly didn't plant because Dad uh, did that. He planted the seeds along with the thousands and thousands of people across America who, like my dad, love God and love this country, and, and but they didn't have the time or the calling to give leadership to the Christian community to respond to the moral decline in America. Turn the television off week was a unique uh, action, never been tried before. And uh, I knew it would grab the attention of the media. It's, all the background for good media story, good media play. You know, here's this small town preacher thinks he's going to do something pertaining, affecting television, you know. Uh, and so I played the game in order to get the publicity, in order to get the, the word out. Uh, I, I played Dom a lot of time, which came natural for me. Uh, but if your opposition thinks that uh, that you're dumb or dumber, then uh, that puts you at an advantage. So I played the role for a while. The media gave me a good bit of publicity for a while uh, until it became evident that, hey, <laughs> he just may be able to pull this thing off or do something. And when that became evident, then uh, the media backed off, and instead of playing the game of David and Goliath, uh, then they began the attack game, uh, so, which has been going on ever since. Through the years, the American Family Association has been called a hate group, rabidly anti-gay, and worse. 
Look at what Jesus told us to expect. He said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When people criticize us, condemn us, call us names, what's Jesus say we should do? Rejoice! We're blessed! It's not that we're trying to be troublemakers just for the purpose of being troublemakers, no. We're trying to be faithful. And in the process, if we get criticized, so be it. So be it. The truth is, Brother Don and his ministry do not hate sinners. We love them enough to pray that they would repent and be saved. We are, however, anti-sin, which in today's culture makes us politically incorrect. I heard a story back many years ago, read it something, about a guest that preached up in one of the elite theological schools, Yale or Harvard, one of them. He got through and one of the uh, professors caught him when he came down and said, you know, you, you have a lot of potential, but you need to learn how to express uh, love like Christ expressed love. And the, uh, the, the guest preacher that was lacking a little bit, asked the, the seminary professor, said, yes, you're right, but would you explain something to me? Um, said, how did Jesus manage to get himself crucified? <laughs> you ever think about that? If he was the kind of person and only the kind of person that those on the other side tell us that he is or was, how in the world did he manage to get himself to? They don't crucify loving people, good people. I think Jesus was probably a little bit politically incorrect. God did pull my dad out of the pulpit into this special ministry for the very purpose of giving leadership to the Christian community to respond to uh, the culture. Uh, but now, here we are still impacting, uh, and I think the reason is that Dad built this ministry not as a personality-driven ministry. There are some ministries, a lot of ministries, that once the main personality either retires or dies, then you'll soon see the death of that particular organization. Um, but Dad wasn't that way. The ministry was built on the cause and not the personality. The ministry continues, but we will miss the forceful, fearless personality of Don Wildman. I met Don back in 1983 when I invited him to come do a radio program with us. And uh, that was the beginning of a lifelong friendship because uh, I saw that day just how committed he was to biblical morality in the culture. And so it's a pleasure to call him my friend. In addition to Dr. James Dobson, ministry leaders from across the country have remembered the efforts of Brother Don. This is Robert Jeffress. 
Today, American Family Association and American Family Radio are changing the lives of millions of people because of Don Wildman's passion and vision. Like the Apostle Paul, Don Wildman could confidently say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. May God bless the life and legacy of Don Wildman. Hi, I'm Star Parker. I remember when God pulled me up out of the really gutter of life. Um, Don was one of the first Christians that I saw in action after cleaning up through welfare and all the other things that I had to go through to get to the place where I knew I needed a savior. Not only did God save me, but he introduced me to Don, and Don was on fire for the Lord. And I said at that time, way down deep in my heart, that that's the kind of Christian I want to be. I want to be a St. James Christian. I want to be one that not only am I a Christian by faith, but people can see it through my work. I am so thankful for Don Wildman touching my life in a personal way and touching this world for God. I'm Dr. Richard Land. I'm the president of Southern Evangelical Seminary and the host of Bringing Every Thought Captive. I guess one of my favorite uh, stories about Dr. Wildman was back in the early days when we were on Nightline um, with uh, Ted Koppel. And there was a guy on there and he was just trying to give uh, Dr. Wildman a hard time about, uh, I think it was the Clorox boycott. <laughs> and he, he, um, he said, he called, first of all, he called Dr. Wildman a fundamentalist. And Dr. Wildman said, he said, I'm a Methodist. He said, I can't be a fundamentalist. You can't be a fundamentalist and be a Methodist. And then um, he accused um, the boycott of being a conspiracy. And uh, Dr. Wildman and Ted Koppel both just sort of chuckled at that and, and said, you know, this is a boycott. It's a public boycott. It's anything but a conspiracy. It's out in the open. It's totally transparent. Hi, this is Gary Bauer with American Values in Washington, D.C. Don was always the same guy when he came to Washington, D.C. and when we worked together. He was always the guy at the meeting or in the conference call or in the middle of the, of the controversy that always stood firm for family, faith, and freedom. Sometimes some of my colleagues were ready to run for the tall grass. You know, they, they wanted to take a low-key approach. But for Don, it was always full speed ahead. And when Don was in the battle with you, well, it made a difference because the phones would ring here in Washington, the Congress would get weak knees, and we time and time again won. So the thing that really comes to mind for me and Don Wildman is he was like a rock. He never wavered. God bless him. This is David Barton of Wall Builders. I had the pleasure and the privilege to work with Don on a number of issues over the years, and I got to know him back when AFA was really a young organization. And the thing that's always stood out to me about Don is here's a, a guy who was a Methodist pastor of a small country church. He really was one of the men of Issachar in 1 Chronicles 12:32. Bible says those are the men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And that's where Don was. He understood what was there, and as a pastor of a country church, like a lot of those kind of pastors from the country, he had a lot of common sense, he had a lot of vision. He was able to do really simple kind of solutions to problems, whether it be boycotts. I mean, imagine a country pastor being able to bring Disney to their knees and Ford to their knees and all these huge corporations. So he was always the guy that saw way down the road what was coming and didn't take a sophisticated solution but my gosh, did it work, and did he ever change the landscape of America for the good because of that? 
Brother Don had a special way of putting a spotlight on societal problems and how believers should be dealing with them. One of his more classic comments was, that's what Christians do now. In it, he listed several areas of moral decay and pointed out how apathy makes the problems worse. In 1973, the Supreme Court said it was okay to kill unborn babies. Since then, we've killed more than, than the entire population of Canada. And it continues. A woman's choice, half of those who've died in the mother's wombs have been women. They didn't have a choice. It's called abortion. Me, I go to church, the minister preaches, and I go home. That's what Christians do now. Abortion is the taking of innocent human life in the womb. And my dad understood that even before the ultrasound or the sonogram. Uh, and I think the Bible's clear on the issue. God creates human life and it begins at conception. And so abortion uh, was, was a big issue for America, and still is a, a big issue for American Family Association. We're very, very pro-life. We emphasize the pro-life issue all the time. We support crisis pregnancy centers. We uh, do what we can to influence legislation. For my dad, uh, this was, if you had to say, what are your top three issues that American Family Association deals with, the pro-life issue would be in those top three. When it comes to the pro-life issue, the one thing that stands out to me, you know, c comparing back to when my grandfather started National Federation for Decency, now the American Family Association, is at the time, you know, in the mid to late 70s, talking about Roe versus Wade, abortion, etc., you were probably, people probably laughed at you when you talked about wanting to change it, you know, or undo it and save innocent life, because when the Supreme Court rules on issues, often people say, well, now it's the law of the land. Right. You know, we must live under it. This is just how it's going to be. But you see 40 years later now, Roe versus Wade overturned or reversed. So it's, it's neat to see how you start a battle and what seems impossible, overturning a Supreme Court decision on life. Now, 40 years later, still fighting the same issue, and we see possibly victory ahead. And you think about my papa and some of these issues that we've mentioned, and you can't help but to see just a tremendous amount of faith and commitment. But Papa always had a, a long-term uh, picture, a long-term goal, and he always were, uh, looked down the road and didn't just consider it today, you know, but he was always thinking about, and that's unusual, you know, that's hard to do even if you try sometimes, but he had an unusual <laughs> gift to be able to look down the future and, and make, a, make a move. Interesting, many of us started at relatively the same time. And uh, we, uh, I started in 77, uh, Jim, Jim Dobson I think started in about 76, Tim and Beverly Hay started at the same time, Jerry Falwell started, started at the same time. Uh, just, there was a whole, uh, I use the southern term, slew of us. Uh, who started about the same time. We cooperated often in the struggle to get uh, TV advertisers to stop paying the bills for violence and filth on television programs. And uh, what impressed me most uh, right from the beginning was that Don just didn't care if people criticized him. I mean, he took the heat. He stood up for righteousness, and uh, I admired that from the beginning, and I drew 
my own confidence from him. So it was uh, is really fun, uh, kind of joining with him as troublemakers. <laughs> you know, we just. Uh, uh, took on the people that were doing wicked and evil things, and then we both took the heat for it, but it, it was worth it. We have to remember that the era that my dad grew up in, he was born in 38. Okay. So he was born uh, and, and grew up during a time in America where Christianity was respected and where the uh, biblical moral value system was the standard for society at large, whether you were Christian or not. So, you know, you still had the Ten Commandments being taught in school. You had Bible reading in school. You had prayer in school. And I'm not talking about just in Mississippi. I'm talking about in New York. Yeah, sure. In California. And uh, Billy Graham was in his heyday. Mm -hmm. Billy Graham was a a big deal and very respected. Uh, So I'm just saying what uh, that was during the time that my dad grew up. So... His generation and the baby boomers understood uh, what a uh, society looked like that honored uh, and used as its standard the Christian worldview. First it was in dingy, dirty theaters, then convenience stores, then grocery stores, then on television. Now it's in the homes of millions via the internet. It's called pornography. Me? I go to church, minister preaches, and I go home. That's what Christians do now. This is Pat Truman, president of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation in Washington, D.C. And my best memory is actually from my days at the U.S. Department of Justice Criminal Division here in Washington, D.C., when I was in the office that prosecutes illegal pornography. And President Ronald Reagan had sent to Capitol Hill a comprehensive, very important bill updating all the nation's anti-pornography laws. But unfortunately, the chief sponsor in the House of Representatives was a liberal from New Jersey named Bill Hughes. And he decided to sit on the bill and not let it out of his committee, which was the crime subcommittee of judiciary. And the Department of Justice announced to our prosecution office that the bill was dead, that Bill Hughes wasn't going to let it see the light of day. Don Wildman called me then and asked, what's the holdup? And I told him the story. And he said, what do you think would happen if we shut down the phone lines of Congressman Bill Hughes? And I just laughed and said, well, I'd like to find out. And it wasn't long, maybe a day or two, before Don got all of the AFA supporters to call Bill Hughes and tell him to get that bill out of his committee and onto the floor of the House of Representatives and literally thousands of people called. And then if you would call that number after a day or two for the congressman, you would get a recording that said, this is Congressman Bill Hughes of New Jersey. If you're calling about the anti-pornography bill for President Ronald Reagan, I'm doing all I can to get it out of committee and onto the floor of the House of Representatives. And if you're calling about anything else, call my new number. And he had a whole new phone number for his office and for the Judiciary Committee for others to call. That worked. And that's how the most important comprehensive anti-pornography bill in the country passed Congress. It was Don Wildman. The pornography industry basically was uh, in convenience stores, the magazines. And uh, 
Dad led an effort to, to get the uh, 7-Eleven company to remove all their pornographic magazines, and they were making a lot of money off those, but there was a boycott by people nationwide against uh, 7-Eleven because they were selling these magazines, uh, and they took them out at 4,500 stores. And I think Dad said over 30,000 convenience stores and drugstores took the pornographic magazines out during that time because there was a response, there was a reaction, people saying, listen, you know, if you're going to sell this kind of material in our community, then we're just not going to buy gas from you or uh, you're not going to buy our groceries from you. So that was very successful. Uh, of course, and, you know, again, the Internet changed everything. But with that particular issue, Dad saw what it could do to men in particular and how it could uh, corrupt their lives and poison their minds. And, you know, we're, we're told about this in the Bible from Jesus. Jesus Christ said if you look at a woman and lust you have committed adultery in your heart mm. so you know that wasn't Don Wildman or Jerry Falwell or James Dobson that was Jesus himself warning against us succumbing to uh, what is pornography and that is trying to draw men away from uh, their wives and uh, natural love for them and get them involved in things that are illicit and, he, and eventually there's a cause and effect sure. that's, to that and uh, that's what the Bible warns us about, and that's what my dad was trying to say. Uh, who among us don't have either known somebody personally or heard the stories of people who get uh, a pornography addiction? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you hear these stories all the time and what it does to the men, in particular the men. Women have this, too, mm-hmm. in a different way. A lot of women have the romance novels, uh, television shows. They may not be mm-hmm. hardcore pornography, but they're things that— cause you to uh, think impure thoughts. And uh, and so Dad saw the corrosive nature of this and tried to give leadership in the Christian community to do something to fight back. I remember when I was going to school at Mississippi State University and I came home one evening and I turned on uh, CNN. And I don't typically watch the television program Moneyline with Lou Dobbs, but uh, he began to give a report about how the that day that the 7-Eleven company had taken the pornography off all 4,500 of their stores. Uh, I was finding out that day what a great impact nationally the work of my dad and American Family Association was having on America. Uh, that was one exciting memory. It's a yeah. great illustration, I think, of, of, of someone who is willing to stand up, be criticized horribly for what they're doing, but the effect is, in reality, America was kept from going down the road that Europe continued to go down. Mm-hmm. If you go to Europe today, uh, and you walk into a convenience store. I mean, it's a completely different right. story. And we are the way that we are because of men like your yeah. grandfather. Yeah, and and there's this there's this you know idea out there that well, you know if everybody will just kind of leave each other alone, everybody kind of live and let live. That phrase was used a lot leading up to a Burgerfield Supreme Court decision, which effectively legalized same-sex marriage. But in reality, the somebody's moral standard, whether it be good morals or bad morals somebody's standard is going to be enforced because we live in a country of law and order, etc. So somebody's standard on is going to be pushed and enforced and encouraged. And so my grandfather thought, well, if, if somebody's, you know, somebody's rules are going to be in charge and go, then why not let it be laws and rules that align with Scripture? The other thing is that, uh, yeah, in, in those days, in the in the late 70s and through the 80s, when American Family Association was really picking up steam, especially in the Christian community, 
uh, Dad would go on all the big national television programs. Um, uh, Nightline with Ted Koppel several times. He went on the Today Show, uh, the Tomorrow Show. He went on uh, the Donahue Show. The Donahue Show was uh, the number one show in America, oh, yeah, talk show in America. Yeah. Back in those days, uh, this is prior to Oprah, about the time Oprah was starting. So it was enormous. And he went on one time, Dad did, and took on Phil Donahue in a debate uh, just by himself. And uh, it was in front of uh, eight to 10,000 people, I think it was, in Utah. They were filming, and it was at a... So Phil Donahue was on the road. You know, he was based out of Chicago, but he was on the road, and it was just Dad... Uh, Don Wildman uh, sitting in the middle of the Coliseum with Donahue and all his fans, <laughs> and they're barring and jar and going back and forth, you know, with this. And uh, Dad held his own. Sure, yeah. Uh, with um, all he had was a chair and a glass of water. We found a system that works. We say to the advertisers, "You sponsor good, clean, constructive programs. We'll go out of our way to buy your products. We appreciate it. Uh-huh. You sponsor uh, immorality, vulgarity." profanity we'll make the point not to buy your products and we'll tell our friends and our neighbors and ask them to do the same we don't force anybody to do anything regardless of what the networks say uh-huh. our our sets do have an off and on button we ask people to use that off and on button our billfolds have an off and on button and as christians we have a, an obligation not to purchase products which we knowingly will go to help promote pornography and anti-christian anti-family values you know what you're saying to me? You're saying to me, here's a choice. If you don't like it, turn it off. You're saying the same thing to me. No. You're telling yes, you are. You're telling me that if I sit down and I don't like sexual infidelity and I don't like profanity and I don't like seeing somebody clobber somebody over the head, then forget it. They tried to destroy Dad by making him look like a fool right. because they thought this person, as Walker said, a Southern hick preacher, mm will be destroyed by the likes of Ted Koppel or Phil Donahue. Well, he wasn't. He <laughs> sounded like a hick, but he, his brain was far from it. Was far from yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, his brain was, he was, he was very much a, a, an intellectual, but he could also uh, communicate that in a common man way. They call it no fault. Why should we blame anyone when something so tragic happens? Haven't they already suffered enough? Half the marriages in America end this way. The children suffered. The family broke down. It's called divorce. Me? I go to church, a minister preaches, and I go home. That's what Christians do now. Papa's uh, main concern, obviously, was the structure of the family. And that's the first thing, that's the first institution that God himself created and ordained was the family. And so he understood that uh, the, the, a stronger family created a stronger culture, a stronger society. And so every one of these issues ultimately come back to the, either the strengthening of the family, if it's uplifting and encouraging and inspiring and, and biblical. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the opposite, like Dad said, the, the side effects or um, a breakdown in the family and society if given over to. One time it was a perversion. We kept it secret. We secured help and hope for those who practice it. Now it's praised. We are parades celebrating it, and elected officials give it their blessing. 
Now it's endowed with special privileges and protected by special laws. Even some Christian leaders and denominations praise it. It's called homosexuality. Me? I go to church, uh, the minister preaches, and I go home. That's what Christians do now. Hi, this is Sandy Rios, long-term director of governmental affairs for the American Family Association and host of The Morning Show. I first met Don when I was president of Concerned Women for America. Of course, I had known about his courage and the battle to clean up America's television networks. I remember the passion that came through the television screen as he spoke and warred against Hollywood when I was a young girl watching from the safety of my own home. The battle we fought most fiercely together in D.C. was over gay marriage. The two of us formed what became known as the Arlington Group, cleverly named because it met in my apartment building in Arlington, Virginia. The battles were fierce, and while others were given to compromise, Don was not. I admired him for that. We did everything we could to defend God's design for marriage, but in the end, we did not prevail. Still, Don remained a positive force to encourage courage, unflappable, indomitable, my brother in the midst of a terrific battle. And that's the way I will always remember Don Wildman. Uh, my dad was a modern-day prophet. Uh, I don't mean that in the sense that he ran around in a robe with a stick, uh, with a rod doing miracles. I mean that in the sense that he could see what was happening, look at the Scriptures, and make a uh, prediction on what would happen if we continued to do things that were against the Word of God. Not just on an individual level, but on a societal level. Mm-hmm. So he he could see he could see ahead. Now, there were others, you know, back in that day who who had similar type um, gifts. Uh, James Dobson, Jerry Fall. I mentioned those two guys. Uh, uh, the LaHayes, uh, D. James Kennedy. Uh, there were others. Adrian Rogers. There are others. But my dad, uh, he also knew what the underlying. He studied a lot. He knew what the underlying philosophy was that the enemy, and by the enemy I mean what the Bible calls. What Jesus called the devil, it was trying to do here, and uh, it was called humanism. Mm. Uh, today, we we the political uh, term for that, I guess, is progressivism in the modern day vernacular. But he called it at the time secular humanism. Dad did, and that fundamentally that is the idea that man is God. Mm. Right. The Christian view is God is God, and we everything falls under that. With humanism, man is God, and so he makes his own rules uh, and doesn't have to follow the rules of God. And the rules of man change based Mm -hmm. on who's in charge, who has the most influence, who has the majority, those kinds of things. So, And it's based on atheism. So if you remove God from the equation, and, you know, you've heard the expression fear of God. If you remove the fear of God... And by that, I mean not that God's going to zap you today because you stole a pack of gum. I'm talking about the the fear of God that society has because we know that God is real and he has standards and that if you disobey him, there are consequences. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Okay. If you remove that, then and that's what the secular humanists were attacking, then then you you're ultimately going to have the breakdown of society 
uh, in many, many ways, and we're seeing that happen. And Dad saw that on the horizon from the 80s. Mm-hmm. And y'all can correct me if I'm wrong on my thinking here, but he was very successful in the homosexual issue and, and just uh, bringing it to the forefront of Christians' minds and also having them to be aware of what's going on, and they uh, were very involved in that issue. It really wasn't until the Obergefell issue where the judges decided for the people. It wasn't until then as where you saw a huge shift gradually in the minds of America's view on homosexuality. Because if you were to look at the states, the states voted on this. I mean, you're talking about the worst states uh, was 58 percent, you know, agreed in. And the most liberal states, there were 58 percent of those uh, of the state agreed that marriage was between one man and one woman as God intended. And then some of the highest, there was 91 percent of the state agreed in Alabama that (laughs) that marriage Mm -hmm. is between one man and one. So it wasn't until the Supreme. So Papa had a great success and AFA had great success in the homosexual movement. And it wasn't until the Supreme Court. Yeah. Yeah. AFA, along with many other pro-family groups fought to get these marriage amendments passed all across the country 30 plus marriage amendments california passed proposition Mm 8 which upheld marriage between one man and one woman it was like in the high 60s yeah yeah it passed with the majority yeah and that was in the that was in the 2000s or mid mid 2000s um so that uh you know that just shows that the american people at large agreed with my grandfather or agreed with AFA on some of the basic fundamental issues that scripture talks about and what's good and what's wrong. And, uh, but then, you know, then came the judges as Wesley said, and, uh, and things have changed from there, but, uh, but there's always hope. Of course, Mm -hmm. you can have good judges. It used to be an embarrassment, a shame. Now a third, a third of all births to mothers are two mothers who aren't married. Two-thirds of all African-American children are born into a home without a father. The state usually pays the tab. That's why we pay our taxes, so that government can take the place of parents. After all, government bureaucrats know much better how to raise children than parents do. It's called illegitimacy. Me, I go to church, a preacher, the minister preaches, and I go home. That's what Christians do now. The issue uh, of sexual deviancy or, you know, basically diverting from a biblical view of human sexuality, one man, one woman marriage, etc., that issue has been on my grandfather's mind and heart ever since, as we mentioned earlier in the recording, since the founding of AFA. And back in the day, homosexuality wasn't as kind of widespread and, and, quote, popular amongst the mainstream culture. But you see that when when you grant legitimacy, when the culture grants legitimacy to just, you know, one diversion off of what God views as as right and normal and and true when it comes to human sexuality, once you kind of divert off just a a foot or two, then it's open open season on on diverting all different directions and taking all kind of, you know, different paths. And we've seen that over the last 40, 50, 60 years in America, how one diversion, you know, maybe... Let's just accept homosexuality, you know, let people live, live and let live, as I mentioned earlier. That has now morphed into this culture where people are questioning whether they, they're man or woman, 
you know, having sex changes, and it's just, it leads to all kind of confusion. Well, and there's several things that Papa warned against would happen, you know, with the breakdown of God's intentions and the biblical standard of marriage. If you break that down, then there is no stopping point. It may be slower or faster, depending on the culture and the time of history, but there's no stopping it once you deviate from God's design of marriage. And so we see that now in the transgender movement. You see that now. Uh, and, you know, people would laugh if you would have told them that you know, 20 years ago that men uh, would want to go into women's restrooms. And that would be bizarre. And so they would laugh at that back then. But this is what Papa warned against were happening. And um, so we're seeing that now. Um, AFA is obviously in, right in the middle of all of it, and we're trying to make a difference. And I thought about this the other day, that uh, you think about what Papa has accomplished through, and AFA has accomplished through its platform. And, you know, yes, you know, some would you know, give us a hard time and say, well, look, Target's still doing their decision and things, bad things are still happening. That's the case. But how much more would have happened if Papa had not got involved and started AFA when he did? How much further along would we be if he didn't? And so praise God for what Papa has done here at AFA and in and, and the atmosphere and the family atmosphere that he's created here between the staff. I mean, going from himself to 130 employees now and all the different divisions and branches, uh, AFS, um, the One News Now department, and others that he's been able to put together over the years. And it's just uh, wow. Not long ago, Christians were the good guys. But now any positive image of Christians in movies or on television is gone. We're now depicted as the bad guys, greedy, narrow-minded hypocrites. The teacher can't have a Bible on her desk, but can have Playboy. We don't have Christmas and Easter holidays, just winter and spring breaks. We can't pray in school, but we can use foul language. It's called being tolerant. Me? I go to church. The minister preaches. I go home. That's what Christians do now. Religious liberty is a huge issue, and it's funny because back to the homosexual issue that we've talked about in the past, that's actually one of the main threats to religious liberty is the LGBT community uh, going past what they wanted, which was legitimacy of marriage, which was what they wanted, which was what they said they wanted. And then, of course, now that we've Obergefell has passed, they don't just want marriage anymore. They want to find and put people out of business who don't submit to their views on marriage. And so that's the real threat to religious liberty. The major threat to religious liberty is the homosexual uh, movement, the LGBT movement, and their uh, pushes there. So it's funny, too, because I had a conversation with a guy the other day who is uh, he's, uh, he's, he's uber liberal. He's a local, and we were talking, and he's a friend of mine, and we, we exchanged ideas. And and he, he basically called me out and said, man, you're taking this, talking about the Obergefellis, you're taking this entirely too far here. I mean, really, they just want to be married. That's it. They just want marriage, and you're holding and Love's love. I mean, two people can, it doesn't matter. And I said, well, first of all, you know that I disagree, or that Scripture disagrees, you know, that, and that would be my position is what Scripture says on marriage. However, I think it's more than that, too. I think that it's more than just them being 
you know, love. And I said, I look at religious liberty. He said, he said, well, like what? And I said, would it be fair for a pastor to be forced by the government to perform a same-sex marriage? He said, that will never happen. I mean, he just went on and on. That You've lost your mind. That's way, we're nowhere near there. And of course, I could have sent, I, I did send him two or three examples of just Christians in general uh, being fine. You know, think about Aaron Melissa Klein, who I've had lunch with three or four different times. And there are, uh, a great example of a loving Christian family who loves people, who loves, they love all kinds of people, and they, uh, which is why they share the gospel, because they love people. And so I know the clients, and that's just one example amongst others where, you know, he said, you know, and I was like, what about this case? Well, that's not a pastor. Well, I can, that's just a matter of time, you know, and, they, and, and there are certain pastors, maybe not like a local church pastor, but other types of pastors that have been forced to perform or else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you see, you see California now. I mean, they're not far. They're working now on on legislation to ban materials that preach recovery from any kind of sexual struggle or what the Bible views as a sexual struggle. And so you see the criminalization there. So that's that's just one step away from any kind of pastor that recommends that there can be, you know, reconciliation for someone struggling with with same-sex attraction, etc. This is one of the last stepping stones from really going off the cliff. And I know, you know, some might have said, well, a burger fell was it, you know. And and we ha- we've had our losses throughout the years. But, you know, if America gets to the point to where they're forcing people of faith to take certain actions and basically offer their endorsement of things that people view as unbiblical, then that would be a huge blow. And it is, has been a huge blow in certain instances to religious freedom and the freedom of Christians to live out their faith without having to violate their conscience. Yes, all of these things came to pass within 30 years. Where were the Christians? Why, they were in church. All these things are for somebody else to deal with. Times have changed. Involvement has been replaced with apathy. But don't blame me. I didn't do anything. I go to church. The minister preaches. I go home. That's what Christians do now. While pointing out the folly of sitting on the sidelines, Brother Don got involved in the culture war. Desiring to reach even more people for the Lord, Don Wildman and the American Family Association branched out into broadcasting in 1991. The networks of American Family Radio now include almost 200 stations. It's a miracle. God's been good to the ministry, and He gave us a vision of taking American Family Radio to communities all across America. And that was our goal when we began. That's our goal now, and it will be our goal to continue to do that. I took the concept and perfected the concept using satellite. And after we had been doing it for, oh, three or four years, other broadcasters saw what we were doing. And there's probably another eight or 10 out there who are doing identically what we're doing now. Then they don't care the same programming. I mean, you know, they have mostly preaching or all music or something of that nature. Their programming is not centered on issues like ours is. But if we've done nothing else, we're basically responsible, in addition to our 200 stations, we're basically responsible for probably another 350 or 400 Christian stations being on the air that aren't affiliated with us. 
I want to share a couple stories, yes. personal stories about my dad. Uh, I was the oldest of uh, four, and uh, when I was 14 years old, uh, we were living in South Haven, Mississippi, and I was at junior high, and I was in eighth grade, and uh, it was football, and there was a uh, kid, I was a new kid in town, so to speak, there was another kid who, uh, in the locker room, uh, just uh, decided he wanted to pick a, a fight with me, and for no for no reason, I'd not done anything to him, but he just wanted to uh, pick a, pick a fight with me, I guess, to prove to all his buddies that he could, you know, put the new guy in his place or whatever. So it was after practice one day, and so we got into it, and uh, I didn't know how to fight really, except you know, swing around, fight around. But uh, as it turns out, this kid was a a, a boxer. <laughs> oh, no. I think he was wanting to use me as a dummy. <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I went home and uh, the principal called, you know, called my parents and told them what had happened. And I told the principal what happened, went home. So my dad's a Methodist pastor. And, you know, uh, he comes home. He asked me what happened. And then he said, <clears throat> remember, I'm like 13 or something. He goes, well, OK, I tell you what, come over here. And he took me in the room with an open space. And then he started rolling up his sleeves. And I'm going like, what are you doing here? What's going on here? And he's, uh, he's going, um, all right, now, double up your fist. <laughs> so he's like, put up your fist like this in front of your face here. He said, and then I want you to, the next time this happens with this kid, I want you to punch him right there in the nose and then punch him again and you don't stop. And I'm going like, I thought you were supposed to be a pastor that, <laughs> that taught about peace, love, and forgiveness and everything like that. Uh, but what he was teaching me was that it's okay to fight back uh, and and it's okay to defend yourself. And I just never will forget that. I mean, it's kind of like, oh, wow, okay, so you're teaching me how to box now. My dad is teaching me how to. So I remember that, uh, that kid ultimately got uh, who – you know, got into it with me. He was a Golden Gloves boxer, so I basically had no chance uh, starting out. But he also, you know, got kicked out of the school because he, <laughs> he was uh, because he had instigated some other uh, fights with some other kids. But I never will forget that particular story. I think there were some Methodist uh, circuit riders that had the same kind of ability to, to yeah. put people in their place occasionally. Yeah, so. yeah. Also, I remember uh, football. I was a fifth grade. It was fifth grade football. And uh, my dad came to the practice, and uh, dad always had a. I, know, I don't wear ties, but dad did. He because he was a pastor, and he was expected he wore a shirt and a tie almost every day. And, um, uh, and he I remember him coming, so he'd come and watch our football practices in his tie, and he'd lean up against the car like several like fathers would, and you know he was known as Brother Don and everything like that. So I remember him uh, like first few practices, he watched me. And then he, when we went, we drove home. He said, uh, "How come you're not uh, you're not getting in on any of the plays? I don't see you really trying very hard, hustling very hard." And I said, "Well, I'm I'm out there like everybody else, just you know trying to play." And he then he took me in the backyard again, mm-hmm. another life lesson. He took me in the backyard, and I had on my pads, and he had on his shirt and tie, and he starts pushing me. <laughs> and then he pushes me again, and he's pushing me again till I started pushing back. 
microphone. He was trying to get some fire out of me. Okay. You know, he said, if you're going to play, he said, I don't care if you play football or not, but if you're going <laughs> to play, if you're going to play football, you're going to have to move and you're going to have to get, uh, aggra- you're going to have to get aggressive and you're going to have to uh, be involved. You're going to have to go and think and, and do. So then he taught me about, uh, you know, I was going to play linebacker. He said, you need to shoot the gap. I didn't even know what a gap was, but he showed me what a gap was. He said, you need to shoot the gap. You need to go in there and you need to make a play. You need to tackle the yeah, so anyway, the next practice, I went after it uh, just like he told me. I yeah. started getting more aggressive, and uh, I made an all-star that year. But <laughs> nice. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have if he wouldn't have got me in the backyard and pushed me around <laughs> a little bit, teaching me uh, how to be more aggressive. With the framework Don Wildman left behind, the American Family Association will continue to inform Christians and non-Christians alike of the need for godly values. And we'll continue to do our best to equip and motivate like-minded people to stand against the darkness and to share the light of Christ. As Brother Don might say, we can't afford to coast, there's work to be done. Papa used to say, let's get some work done around here. One main thing he taught me was always work hard and never quit. I guess you can say I definitely have my Papa's drive and work ethic. (laughs) Though rarely heard on air, Don's granddaughter Riley says it well. By his example, energy and obedience, Brother Don has inspired many to hold the line for morality and godly values as we wait upon the Lord. Some few memories that I have starting out in the mailroom working for him and how he would come and just um, watch out and make sure we were all doing our work and he would always give me a dollar um, as part of helping him and I will never forget every time I saw him at work um, I would ask him for a quarter and so he would give that to me and my brothers Wesley and Walker for a snack or something to drink so I've just always been I've grown up here at American Family Association and just love Papa's passion for this ministry and how he continues to um, um, inspire us and how he set a godly example Um, for all of us as well as inspiring um, us and we will definitely miss him are we going to win this battle I don't know now I'm supposed to say yeah let's go get them hooray right I'd be lying to you I don't know I don't know but we can keep on fighting win or lose I'd rather go down the tubes fighting for a good cause than to give up for something's going to ruin our society. You fight the media, you fight the lies, and you fight the powers that be, and uh, the odds are against you, and the money is against you, everything's against you, you get worn out. The older you get, you come to the place where, you know, I don't know how it's going to come out. I care how it's come out. But knowing how it's going to come out and not going to come out is not going to affect what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what's right, what I think is to be right, what I think the Lord wants me to do. And whatever happens, happens. Forget it. One of these days I'm going to face the Lord. And I'm a sinner. You may think I'm a saint, but ask my wife. <laughs> Without Don Wildman there would have been more compromise by conservative leaders on the great moral and spiritual issues of our day. As much ground as we think we've lost now, we would have lost more and sooner. 
Without Don Wireman, there would be no American Family Association to fight for decency in American media, to organize and galvanize Christians to be salt and light in our world. Without Don Wireman, there would have been no American Family Radio to faithfully deliver uncompromising truth to millions daily, echoing the uncompromising backbone and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ of our founder, the Reverend Don Wildman. What could I say to you that would help you go back out where it's rough, where it seems like we're getting beaten all the time? Let me tell you something. All God asks of you is faithfulness. That's it. Your availability is what He's concerned about. He'll take care of the ability part. And all the odds are against us, but so what? We are His child. God doesn't judge by the same standards with which the world judges. Thank God for that. And God's truths are not dependent upon some politician. Thank God for that. Faithfulness is the word, not necessarily success. Even as Brother Don is being missed by many, many friends and family down here, we needn't be sad for his passing. We're confident Don is seeing and experiencing things beyond our imagination as he spends his eternity with Jesus. Thank you for listening to this tribute to our founder, Don Wildman, on American Family Radio. God has directed the ministry since we began, and it's amazing. As I sit down and look at what's here and who's here, and, uh, I can't comprehend how did in the world did I ever you know, achieve what we've achieved. Uh, and I go back, this is God's work. God did it. What's going to be on my tombstone? Uh, well, I tell you, it's going to read, The networks have decided to praise the Lord. Ha, 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 ha.